0: Hi, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. When I recorded this thoughtful conversation with Dr. Sidney Freeman, it was clear that, rightfully, Sydney had a lot on his mind, especially around doing the work that is associated with equity and justice on campus. Sydney is a full professor of adult organizational learning and leadership at the University of Idaho. Idaho is, by the way, a red state. He is former National Home Scholar and has earned professional certifications in the areas of faculty development, online instruction, executive management, his information and all of that is in the bio. He is also a second time uh, contributor here at Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, and it's wonderful to have him. One of the things that came up during the interview was two things. We talked about politics and specifically about politics and how it's impacting not only equity and justice on campus, but we know already that it's challenging to get the work done. And even when life is rosy, even when you're working on a campus that is in full support of the work you're doing, especially when there's strapped resources like little to no administrative support. This sounds like something that why are we talking about administrative support? Well, if we all think about how important that is to the work that we're doing, well, we know what a challenge it is to be able to put all your balls in the air and not have folks there to help you. But Sydney has done a lot of wildly successful things at his campus, despite the fact that there is a lot of tension about the work. And so this was a really good conversation. We not only talk about obviously the politics of it all, but we also talk about the optimism of it all and how we can all help these types of roles become more successful on our campuses. So we are going to hear from Sydney. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I know I did. And remember, you can be wildly successful in ways because uh, you got to innovate, but you also have to build coalitions. And we do talk about that a lot in this conversation. So I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. You'll be hearing from me again. Good morning, Sydney. You're, you're, you're a very much a morning person. You have coffee I see in front of you. What does your mug say? Tell me what your mug says.
1: On on the side that's facing me, it says it's all academic. That's the, the company on this front side. It says university strategic plan. No more money, get more grants, do more research, teach more classes, excellence. I <laughs>
0: Well, that's it for the show. Everyone, have a nice day. <laughs> Dr. Sidney Freeman, thank you for being back here with Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. You were a compelling guest last season, so I was happy to invite you back. And when you when you came back and said, Yeah, I have stuff to talk about, and I said, excellent. I know it's going to be thoughtful. I know it's going to kind of maybe push some people's buttons. So I I very much appreciate you joining us from the great state of Idaho, and so I want to thank you for being here. All your information is is up in the show notes, and I, I encourage people to follow you on on LinkedIn. You're you have thoughtful, very informed posts there. You are a, a scholar and a gentleman, as they say, but you're also pissed off. <laughs> you're, you're a little done. You're a little done. Yeah. And you're in a space where you do the, and we're just going to use the term DEI work for the purpose of this show. There's a lot of terms out there. And I know that even some institutions aren't even allowed to say DEI work anymore. They have to kind of code it and (laughs) and give it your, yours. Okay. So what do you call it? What, what, what do you call it at at your place? I'm
1: very, I'm actually very specific. I do, I do work related to black advancement. So. Okay. I have narrowed in my, my scope and said, you, it's one of those things where that, you don't mind partnering with, with other groups, other marginalized communities, but ultimately there are so few people thinking about black people in my space. I've said that I need to be very, very strategic, very focused on advancing black folks. And as Things intersect and as I can be supportive of other communities, I.
0: Right. So, so when you talk about black advancement, what does that look like in your space? What are the some of, give us some examples of what you've been working on?
1: Yeah. So over the last two years, two, three years, we started uh, or reestablished our black cultural center. We hired both an administrative assistant and a director. With that, we have also started something called the Black History Research Lab under my auspices, which we have won multiple national awards, statewide awards, commendations from both the Senate and from the state governor, just doing research on the contributions of Blacks to the University of Idaho. In addition to right. that, our newish init our, our newish, our newest initiative, is the Black Research Institute for Flourishing and Thriving. And so we see that as complementing the history history part very well, which is to essentially say that our focus now is on how can Black people flourish and thrive in a predominantly white space that in many ways can be hostile, not because of necessarily faculty, staff, and students, but kind of the broader the broader cultural context and milieu that we have to navigate given the state that we're, we're in.
0: I think that, that that piece in terms of how do you leverage your space? How do you get your voice out there? How do people actually start to come into your environment in a predominantly white space where it may not be safe, as you said? is actually a really effective way for us to kind of move to this next level of kind of our conversation. Because I think what I'm seeing and what we're all seeing state by state by state is this kind of almost twister-like engagement where people like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get our work done? And what you've done is you've narrowed where some institutions went very broad and that got them into this quagmire of political mess okay and i i want your thoughts on this because i i when you and i talked in our kind of our prep kind of call mm-hmm. one of the things you referred to are are some folks who might look a lot like me who yeah. are advocates who are allies who thought they were doing the work for a period of time and and when i say thought i think sometimes you have to look at like what's what's the intent or the spirit behind it but maybe what they were doing is not actually helping getting the work done in these spaces anymore is that sometimes these voices are actually getting in the way. And and I want your thoughts on that because then I want to move to the work still needs to be done, right? But we need to be able to fight for the work and and maybe change our game plan, so to speak. So let's first talk about people who look like me. Who might not be as effective. Um, I'm going to say there's a lot of white ladies out there wearing, and I'm literally, they're just listening to the podcast, not watching anything. I am wearing a jean jacket, which is like, it is, it is the quintessential uniform of white women in suburbia in the United States. I'm wearing a black top with a jean jacket over it. Okay. So there's a lot of women who look like me who are like, rah, rah. rah I've been doing the work. Talk to us about how this might not be as effective as people might think it is.
1: Yes. So when I, one of the things that I often see now, just giving the political pushback that we're getting from our state governments is that there was never really a commitment to black people. There often is a commitment to making the world in general a better place. And so yep. what, in, what ends up happening is is that you that not you as a person, but you, more broadly speaking, can interchange groups, right? So it's like, well, I'm supporting Native Americans or I'm supporting our Latinx folks or I'm supporting those with disabilities and things like that. And those groups they are often are being targeted at a particular point. They can be kind of pushed to the side or, or say, I, I'm not dealing with that right now because that I don't want to be a part of the collateral damage of, of the pushback that's going on. And so it becomes incumbent on individuals in that particular group to stand up for themselves. Ultimately, I think I woke up this morning kind of thinking about no one else is going to save you. Right. No other group is going to save you. You have to uh, take care of, take care of yourself. I hate, that's not the way in which I look at life and things like that, but you often have to be smart about the ways in which you move around and work. And so those are from my standpoint, that's been something I had to be much more cognizant and thought, thoughtful about.
0: When, when I hear you say that specifically, when you have this mindset of no one's going to save you, this is, you have to be your number one champion. And when I hear that, I think that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to respond to this saying, but wait a minute, how can I be helpful? How can I do more and and I I struggle with what kind of message to send or even for myself to feel like when I I'm going to speak for myself right now. When I hear you say that, it breaks my heart. It makes me go, OK, I, I why is that a, a, a mindset that Sydney has to have? But then I have to kind of look at life through a lens of, all right, you have not had the lived experience of Sydney. You have not had a lived experience other than your own. And when you're out there doing your own work and what you need to care about, you actually live your life through a lens of privilege where people aren't going to stop you any more than, than, than themselves, potentially. And when I hear you say that in an academic environment, I can literally visualize people saying, but wait, wait, wait. We've been doing this all along let us let us help you. let us give you our interpretation of of this. Let us be part of your your team where that may not be exactly what need is needed at that point am i am i, no, I well, how do I just t- say this yeah go yeah, ahead so
1: there there are people that are part of your your team, but what I found in in these these times, particularly in these more conservative states, are that those who have been champions for diversity, equity, and inclusion—I al- already call those terms language of appeasement—but those are terms that we use yeah. that are most yep. embraced by mm-hmm. the white white majority, right? Um, yep. yep. What ends up happening is when things are made to when you're made to feel uncomfortable jobs or, or jobs may be on the line, things like that, there are very few people that are going to step out on behalf of other, other groups. Mm-hmm. That's just yep. the reality of Within. the the matter. And so right. that's in higher ed that's outside of that's outside of higher ed. And so, mm-hmm. um, and Michael Mexico has talked about this. King has talked about, all the major leaders have talked about it.
0: Right, uh, right. So
1: that's why it's really important that uh, we welcome other people to be a part okay. of and support and those kinds of things. But we can't solely rely on that because people have their own interests mm-hmm. and ultimately right. uh, move toward their interests when, when the pressure is on.
0: And that's when white allyship actually slows down the process of all of this is that this idea of of what you said it exactly, that DEI lens, that DEI terminology has been created to appease, has been created rather than to the way when you were explaining black excellence and, and advancement. I, in my back of my mind, I thought about like when, when I hear about we're going to speak about these very specific things for very specific groups, it almost reminds me when, when you're, you start playing a sport and you learn a sport and you're generally good at the sport. And then they say, no, we want you to specialize in this area. And now you're only going to do this. And people are like, but I'm a, but I'm a, a baseball fan. Yeah. But are you really, do you know enough about baseball? Can you break everything down and see the whole game in all of the detail? DEI as a broad umbrella that placates the white ally as a term is made up of so many components in, in their own space. We just don't get into that space. And when we do get into that space, we actually cause more harm than good.
1: Well, Do you I agree with that? I, I I believe what happens is that it recenters when you broaden it out. It recenters whiteness, right? So when yeah, so whenever you so emphasis on those who are disabled often centers white disabled people. When you talk about the LGBTQIA uh, community, often you hear folks of color, in particular black individuals, right. are those that who feel like they're marginalized and yeah. those like trans
0: women have the most issues around violence. Right.
1: Right. And so what happens is, is that in this country, in particular, in particular, those who we call ADOS, American descendants of slaves, those whose great, 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 great grandparents were slaves here on these soils. What I find is most people are not, they don't want to say this. But when you look at, I'll go to your your home state of Massachusetts, where mm. when you look at the last names of blacks that are students, right, that are there, yeah. right, they're often African names, right? So it doesn't even when we talk about affirmative action and all those things that were were built to help the community, a particular community, right? Which were those mm-hmm. who were descended of slaves in this country, that those those opportunities are not going to them. Right. So this thing is yeah. much more complicated and nuanced. And I think that uh, white people are not necessarily wanting to get into that. They just want to check right. their box. And and so and I think I think behind it, they know what's going on. So I don't right. when when you see that those who are immigrants are getting particular opportunities and things like that. It's not, uh, just because they are, they are skilled and all those kinds of things. I think we are pitted against, pitted against each other. And so we have to internally have different conversations because we are not the ones who are setting the stamp, the overall standards within, within, within our institutions. There's one other note I just want to say really quickly. I would encourage your audience, particularly your your white female audience, to watch a special by Michelle Wolf on Netflix. Yep.
0: Oh, yes? <laughs>
1: yeah, the so second you watched it. <laughs> yeah, that that particularly that second episode, I watched yep. it maybe a couple of days ago, and it was really thoughtful and informative, just based mm-hmm. on my own lived experience. And I think it would be some of the things that she talked about plays out in higher education every day.
0: Yeah. So Michelle Wolf is a comedian. She's very well known for calling out the, <clears throat> basically the media when Donald Trump was elected president and basically saying, you created this. You, it's, if anyone's going to be called out on this, it's you all. And she got lambasted by the media and other people. And she actually lives now in, in, she lives in Spain, right? She said that in the special. Yeah, yeah, and but this special was recorded in the United States. It's a three-part show on Netflix, and it's excellent. You may not know this about me, Sydney, but I'm a former stand-up comedian, so I did stand-up for several years. So I stand-up is my love language. Like stand, I will literally well, we, listen we've to been things la- that make me crazy. Every time we
1: talk, we've been laughing, so I'm not totally surprised. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so. I, she is a very smart comic and I would definitely say I'll make sure I put the, the, a reminder in the show notes about it, but it has a real perspective on like, what is the role of white women in this space and what can we do? And I, I'm glad you brought that up. Hi folks, Laura here. Little quick, quick interruption. Okay. My wonderful producer, Dave has helped me out here. This is the special that we're referring to. It's by Michelle Wolf. It's on Netflix. It's a three-part special. It's called It's Great to Be Here. It was released this fall, the fall of 2023. And here's a clip that gives you just a taste of what we're talking about. I think, white women, I think I figured out what our struggle is. I think our struggle is hearing how hard it is for other people is really hard for us. (laughs) Like we ha- we heard how hard it was for Black people, and we were devastated. <laughs> we saw pictures of the destruction in Ukraine, and we needed a social media break. <laughs> we heard about the crimes against humanity in Palestine, and we didn't really get into that one because that's not one of like the in crises. <laughs> In general hearing how hard for, things are for other people has been really hard for us so hard we can barely make our own jewelry <laughs> so this is a higher ed show mm-hmm. and i want to bring this back to politics is killing us on so many levels but in the higher ed environment getting the work done oftentimes has to do with support and when you and I were talking about this work that has to be done especially in spaces like your own and other advocacy spaces on our campuses where we have a very specific lens of getting things done for specific populations and and broadly for society but there's two things that are getting in the way number one in addition to the white the white allies which we've we've talked a little bit about but I want to focus on two things. I want to focus on politics, both internal and external politics, and then just the physicals, academic and, and the administrative support. It's funny how you, we started with your mug and how you got to get grants and you have to do this, but we're, we have no more money, but you're going to have to get it done. And, and without administrative support there to get things done, a lot of the scholarship, a lot of the actual good work can't get done. Um, and so I, I, I wonder which one we want to start with. Do you think we should start with a conversation about that administrative support and how politics yeah, be great. is, is, yeah. is, okay. So why don't we start with the administrative support and then we'll go on to the politics of it. Yes. Yeah, so, so yep, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead because you have some very strong opinions on this and I think they're quite relevant. And I think a lot of people are going to hear this and go, yes, 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 but they haven't thought this through to the level that you have
1: yeah so just to give some also some context, I am a higher education study scholar, so so I when I wake up in the morning, so I'm not like a communications person that happens to think about higher education. This is what I've been when I wake up in the morning, this is what I you put do. My feet <laughs> on the ground. I'm thinking about what's going on in higher ed and ways in which we can improve it, but as we think about administrative support. One of the things that I've been thinking about is how we have created more administrative leadership positions without providing the appropriate administrative support to get things done. So what has happened in my experience and just my assessment of the academy writ large is that we've done what we've done is created these new layers of bureaucracy. Which then mm-hmm. they have to prove that they're actually doing something because faculty would be, will be, critic, would criticize these new layers of administration. What those layers of administration do is they create a more administrivia, which yes. is a more yes. policies and more work that gets moved back down to both faculty and And administrative support, whereas we have less administrative support to support getting those things done. And so Mm -hmm. you're in this quagmire where people are being burned out because not just because of COVID, not just because of some of these other challenges that we have in the academy, but just the trickle down of of uh, the word is not not coming to to me right now, but compliance, excuse yeah. me, but compliance, compliance yeah. with all we, these new. We rules. care
0: more about compliance than we actually care about getting the work done. So it's like, oh, you know, I always say there's all these uh, mandates, whether it be institutional mandates, state mandates, federal mandates. You've got mandates with your grants. You've got mandates with this. Those things have to get done because you're worried about compliance. To your point, okay. What we forget is that there is a different level of administrative support, which is the programmatic level of administrative support. The people who can actually understand, well, what is it that Dr. Freeman is working on right now? How do I make sure that what I do is, is allowing for there to be success within our space? And that is work that gets done in advance of, during, and after a lot of compliance is Some in some during, but mostly after. And And it doesn't. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I
1: would add really quickly that you have these administrators that take on these these roles without administrative support. And so they don't even especially if you have been a faculty person and you move into these administrative positions or staff people who are moving into another layer or another level of the administrative structure. They haven't had administrative support, and they don't ask yep. for those things or make that a condition, and therefore, then they're frustrated because they don't have any support. Or their support is shared, and if it's mm-hmm. shared, a lot of times that administrative support person has to yep. make their own decision on who support at what time and those kinds of yep. things. And those are are challenging things, and that's not just at my institution. I've heard no. this as a complaint across the academy.
0: And, and I think that as we are, I, I wonder, and you may be seeing this, is that some of those positions when it came to between COVID, the great resignation and others, those are not your higher paid positions on a college campus. So some right. people may have just said, you know what? I can, I can get higher pay somewhere else using these same skills doing something in the private sector or doing something in another environment or they they got a, an upgrade and then what 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 at least i'm hearing from my colleagues especially at state institutions is when those positions get vacated it is very hard to fill those positions and finding those folks into that consolidation piece and all of all of that what you just said i i also wonder and then this is one of those things too is at some private institutions are a bit better positioned to say, you don't have to work on campus. You can work from home and doing these things. State institutions are not as willing to do that globally, I would say generally across across the U.S. They're much more like, no, you have to be here. And then there's also some rules. I saw this not necessarily in administrative support, but a colleague of mine was moving to another state out of Massachusetts Their their spouse got a job in person there, and they had worked at a state institution here in Massachusetts in the IT environment. They're very good at it, and IT is not something you have to be on campus to do. It is all things you can do remote. And they said we'd love to have you stay, but now you're living in a state outside of Massachusetts, not in New. If you were living in New Hampshire or Connecticut, I. I guess they have ways to manage it because they probably have a lot of employees, state employees that might live in an adjacent state. But he was not living anywhere close. And they said, sorry, we can't do it. The state, it won't allow it because of taxes and that sort of thing. So he ends up finding another job. But my point is, I think that a lot of these institutions, especially state institutions, are very bound by what they are permitted to do, permitted on paper, of what's the policy? What is the the bureaucratic rigmarole that you have to go to to maintain these positions? And we're losing our eye. And I think the bigger issue here. And I don't want people to take away from this conversation that well, it's, I don't work as hard. What's the big deal? You now, here's the thing: when you are dealing with politics, which we're going to get to, and you're trying to keep your work in a lane where you are going to be able to protect the work protect the outcome of the work, protect the value of the work, protect the integrity of the work, you need some support to be able to kind of punch away some of the, some of the distraction, but also keep, keep you guided. And that's where I think strong administrative support is necessary, especially in the lens of, or especially when, when considering the complexity of the work that, like the center that you run and and other centers like that across the country. The more people you have who can actually speak the the values of the work is actually going to heighten the importance of the work and the and the quality of the work. Is that making sense?
1: It makes a lot of sense and a lot of times we get caught up in ordering books or ordering whatever. And you're saying where is the support so that can help you get, get so one of the things that I've been talking about is having the time to de- develop the vision for my center thinking up about ways kind of the higher level challenges that we have when we're when we're asked to do more grants create more grants and things like that well you have to have the time right. to really think through and conceptualize the work that you're doing right. and and so when you're doing when, When you're spending more of your time learning a new, new platform because that those jobs have been consolidated and you're, you're having to learn a new platform because you're taking on some of those responsibilities. It kind of takes away from the time that you could be, I, in my opinion, better serve, serves the institution and the work Mm -hmm. in that way.
0: Well, and I think that there is an element of all of this that you say, you know what, we can actually do, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of doing my work smarter, not harder. So if you have people who are, you brought up grants, there are people who are very good at writing grants and very good at managing grants and know how to do this. I don't have necessarily a problem with grant specialists who work with different departments, but this is their job and they're really good at it. They're good at writing these things. I mean, there is a flair to writing a good grant, okay? That's what you want. You want some people who can specialize. Just like you specialize in your area, you want someone who can specialize in grant writing so that your area gets gets what they need. Where it also comes down to is that the managing of the grants and the making sure that if I'm going to get this big chunk of money I need to make sure that what I'm doing with it is adhering to that. And that's what a strong administrative person in your department who's able to do this to do this work is so important because it only makes the you don't want to end up in a situation where you're getting called out for not for mishandling grants and donations and the work. You need to have the right sense of support. So there is there is a a very practical reason why this should be done.
1: I, I agree with that. 10,000, 10,000%. And, <laughs> and recent, in recent years, we've seen where different individuals, particularly persons of color that have run centers have been targeted yeah. as it relates to how they manage money and things, right. And things right. like that.
0: Well, we're um, seeing that at Boston University right now with Ibram Kennedy's center. And so it is absolutely, and and the institution is going to be doing a full. They've announced the president, the interim president is has announced a full review of what's going on, and and Dr. Kendi, according to the, all the information I've read, is embracing that full review so that he can kind of continue to move move forward. But I but I think that he's not the only one. He gets the he gets the spotlight because he has elevated. He has been elevated by some people who are good actors and some people who are bad actors who have elevated him to a specific point. And I think that he he just wants to get the work done is based on what I'm seeing. But it's happening at centers all around. And going to the politics of all of this, and this is there is a link, there is, there is connected tissue here, is that if the politics in the state, in the locality, in the even on the campus is Is battling these issues is going to be pushing back on these matters. They don't value these issues. They don't, they want to, to shut down these centers. They want to push this, these, this scholarship away. Whatever it is that they're trying to get done, one of the first things that they have to do is minimize the importance of these spaces. And by bringing down the number of staff, by saying that we don't have enough people to run this, how important can this be? that's a first step for the for that kind of work to be vulnerable don't you think
1: i do and and one of the one of the things that is interesting case in the situation is because he had a large staff most most operations have, are understaffed, uh, and right. so I think in that case and in other cases across the, across the country, there are women who have run, run centers that have run into run into some challenges. I think, I think it's interesting when institution says that there may be some mismanagement of funds. When I know the, the center, the Institute that I run and the, The lab that I run, I don't even touch money. The money goes through the institution and they manage manage it. So (laughs) I'm still, I'm still kind of fuzzy on how we can just drop this on the director of the center. center. And so there, to your point, the, the cynicism that I have about, about this is, is high because we understand, we understand how universities universities work but i think for most of us don't
0: get a check like just for the lay person listening to this you don't get a check and then say i'm gonna spend the money however i want that's not how it works at any institution big small medium doesn't private public doesn't work that way and if it does work that way at your place you're probably doing something wrong okay there's all these protections levers gates And all these things that keep you from making those kind of things. So there's a bigger picture like breakdown when something happens in this case. And so that's why the head scratching, I'm I'm with you on this. Because when I when I read the preliminary information on this, I'm like, what? Like, how does this happen? And and so I'm glad they're looking into it. And I'm I apologize for jumping in.
1: No, no, no. You're you've explained it. You you've explained it well. I just think that to something, something that you said earlier, most of us want to do the work. I have a colleague. I have a colleague who runs a multi-million dollar center and we were talking about this particular situation and we were saying, we just want to do the work.
0: Right. That's what exactly. we want. That's what that's, we that's are it.
1: wanting to Im- impact and change the world through our research and right. our scholarship and our teaching. And that's what we want to focus on. It's been the institutions that want the overhead from yes. from the research dollars that we get that we have to navigate, and I mm-hmm. think that's often challenging. Even if you're trying to go after small grants, institutions are trying to still take half of the money that right. you that you that you get. So, in a neoliberal, I use that term, capitalistic institutional higher education context. You are uh, often navigating what they value, which is capital. Right. And that's, it's not that they just love students that we talk about enrollment. We talk about enrollment right. in the, in the context of keeping the institution running. That's what they, right. that's what capitalistic institutions do. They're right. not concerned about individuals. They're concerned about maintaining an institution and growing it and advancing it in whatever right. way. Uh, the mission is saying and so those are the things that we have to navigate and that tied back into what i was saying earlier about protecting yourself right and protecting your right. your particular tribe right because the right. right. institution is not necessarily invested in in doing that
0: right well and i want to as we think about this and and i said we were going to talk about politics but i think politics and how do you how do you kind of shift your political kind of playbook to manage this because to your point, we want to do the work. Work needs to get done. Okay. That's the whole point of us doing this. Okay. You don't just show up for a job in academia. Cause you're like, I love working in brick buildings. Like that's not <laughs> why we do this. Okay. Right. So I, I think that what I'm, I'm really interested in because you and I even in our first conversation or our, our most recent conversation, You talked about the fact that you've had to kind of recalibrate how you advocate for your work based on the political landscape. And I think that that's an important kind of way for us to finish out our conversation today, because we've talked about how we have to be very much about like specialized, look at the, the jobs that we're doing rather than do these broad conversations that may bring in white advocates. Really get into no, we're gonna focus on this one particular piece, and this is what our specialty is going to be, and this is why. That may not make the the white folk all that that comfortable, but it's gonna have to be part of it, okay? Then we talk. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Just interject. Something just came to mind. There is a study that was done. I can't remember who did the study, but essentially it said that those who specialize and advocate for a specific group. And drill down, they actually are better equipped and more engaged in helping other groups than those who are kind of spread thin. So it's almost Mm -hmm. better to focus in on something because people are actually are drawn to you and they can clearly see the lines of intersection versus trying to be all things to all people.
0: Exactly. And and I like that idea is that when you're in that space, you can still be friends with people in the other spaces. You can still say someone might show up at your center and you go, like what you're talking about. Not this is not my lane. I am, however, going to introduce you to the person in the next lane. We know each other. We work together. They're the experts in that lane. Okay, I going back to the baseball analogy. I was a very good catcher. I am not a runner, okay? So if you're going to say, Laura, you're going to have to steal a base. I'm saying you are not a good coach. You should know that I am too slow to steal that base. It is not going to happen, okay? So you need to be able to, to just like you're going to manage the baseball team, you've got to manage the, the the organizations. So we have to specialize. We have to have the support, okay? However, we have to, Internally politic for that. Yeah. Okay. Getting administrative support is an internal political quagmire. Mm -hmm. All right. But let's shift to the overarching political dynamic that in all of this, the thing that you have to have to maybe retool is how are you changing your maybe playbook, as I've been saying, to. Make sure that you are working within some of these challenges. I mean, Idaho is not Massachusetts. Right. And, and Massachusetts isn't Massachusetts anymore, but, but, but let's just say this is Idaho is not Massachusetts. There are moms for liberty groups here in Massachusetts trying to take over school boards and getting in, in, in there. They're here. So they're everywhere. Okay. So from K-12 all the way up to higher ed, there's people meddling right now. Oh, definitely. How do you change the playbook so that your work is not put on some kind of public chalk chopping block or public talking point where they're pointing to the work of Dr. Sidney Freeman, saying, well, "Have you seen what's going on over in that that Center for Black Excellence, whatever that is?"
1: Yeah. So there's, I think there's a balance uh, to it. So I'm going to talk about it on multiple levels. So. On at the institutional level, you just do the work, right? You do the work and the work is whatever that is to advance the cause that you're, you're trying to do, right? On I've done less on this to bring attention on the state level. However, my work is external. So right. what happens is sometimes your protection is that you are out there and they know that you can go to the media so I can go nationally and internationally. And that's not what they want. Right. They don't right. want, they don't oh. want to be, even if if they can be perceived as prejudiced or those kinds of things. Right. They don't want that confirmed out there. Right.
0: Right. Um. Right. They
1: want to use dog whistles and things like that. They don't want to be
0: mm-hmm. perceived. They want to protect their behind. image. Yeah.
1: Right. And so I think it's important for me to be on platforms like this and, and other platforms nationally and internationally to get the word out about things that are going on in Idaho, particularly great things around that black people are doing, doing creative work so that they can thrive and flourish even in this, in this space. Sometimes you have to do small things. What I've learned as as people start kind of retreating and they're they're trying to figure out how to move next what i've had to do is say okay just keep doing small things it doesn't always have mm-hmm. to be the big things what I, what i mean by that is i'm i'm giving a i've given several gifts to our black cultural uh, our black cultural center through our black history research lab that highlights mm-hmm. the history of blacks in the cultural center so while they yep. may have less resources, we gift them different things. We partner with the community. So rather than doing some things highlighting it on campus, we're doing mm-hmm. things with the with the local theater on town, yep. downtown theater. Yep. These kinds. Of, so you're being very strategic in ways outside of the institution. Yeah. So I, I I'll add at this last piece is that one of the things I've had to really think about is. I'm, I'm naturally a fighter. I'm from Jersey. I'm from South Jersey, Camden. And so That's I'm right. naturally a fighter, but is it wise to, to be out there trying to fight lobby groups and things like that? If you don't have the types of support around you that will help to bu to buffet some of these, some of these challenges. So, so for me, it's been very important to be wise and find ways in which to keep things going. You don't totally stop, but your strategy right. may shift until you can get the types of support that you need around you to kind of move things yeah. in the direction you want to.
0: And that's actually going back to that idea of the of allyship. And I'm I'm gonna say this here. That's where the role of allyship, I think. Is more important. Yeah. Because when it's about the work and getting the work done and creating these lived experience environments where you're like, you know, in your particular case, um, your your museum and the and the Center for Black Excellence and all of that work, you're the specialist in this. Mm-hmm. I want you to do that work where I can be. If I'm on your campus and I say, OK, Sydney, I am this person who's the vice president for external affairs or I'm this person and that kind of person. I'm going to make sure you get in that room. I'm not going to speak for you. I'm going to I'm going to walk in. I'm going to hand you the microphone and I'm going to let you do the talking. But I'm the one who's going to get the door open. Well, can I, and can I, yeah, go can ahead.
1: Something to that. So yeah, one sure. of the one of the the balances with that is that. Um, I've, I've been, I've, I feel two ways about that because okay. I've had colleagues who they perceive the work as giving me platform Opening versus, versus hold, holding hands with me and saying, okay, I believe yeah. in this. People know I believe in this. Right. I'm with. Right.
0: Them. Absolutely.
1: Right. Yes. So I yes. think there's yes. a balance. No, and I, to yes. that. There's kind of, yeah, I you just can't just to-
0: let, you can't, I get you, I get you. So I want to be very clear. I'm not going to invite you out to the, to the, to the, the event and then just say, okay, have fun and walk away. Like that's not it. I got to be there right with you. We're, we're standing neck and neck. I just don't, I, what bothers me. Is where I see people who think they're being advocates and they've literally taken on the microphone. Oh, that's, and yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: that I don't want. Like that's actually, that's, I think I one of the worst things you can do. But, but to your point, if you're going to invite me in, you've got to be my advocate right there and stand right next to me during this with your hand on my shoulder, your hand on my lap, whatever we're doing. Right. And we got to yeah. make sure that we are. We are hand in hand in this and, and we are part of the same message. And that also means going into it, we're on par with what's the message, Sydney, what are you going to be saying? Great. I want to make sure whatever I'm saying to introduce you to this group of people, we are on the same page. Okay. And that, that is actually, so when, when there's the, the folks who want to be effective in this, they need to be thinking about what role and what positionality they might have within their community whether it be the on-campus or external space. And to your point about the fighting, I'm a New Yorker. This, this is why we get along, okay? <laughs> like we haven't talked about who, what teams we root for yet. We'll do that off camera, but <laughs> I want to make sure it's like, I get I get riled up. Like I get, I get nuts about stuff, okay? And it, it's going to get me in trouble. But that being said, is that you got to now figure out, okay, does it make sense to fight or does it make sense to show up and talk? And is there a different kind of element here rather than shut out? Because I heard someone say politics is temporary. And I said, well, this feels like the most eternally terrible temporary scenario to be in that we're in right now. But the people in power, there, there may not be, there's, there's a shelf life for them. The right. the important thing is to replace the next, <laughs> whatever comes back on the shelf next time needs to be better than what we're show, throwing off the shelf right now. But how have you tempered that fight aspect of your personality so that you can continue to do the work and not be embattled in the fight?
1: Well, well, so, some of this has been, uh, I have my own nonprofit in it. I developed the nonprofit when I was during the, the pandemic in 2020, right? And so what's happened is there's certain things that you can get through, done through the institution, and there's certain things that it's better for you to go through your own nonprofit because you have a little more freedom. So that has given me a lot of leverage to do those things. And sometimes I've been able to create scholarships at Black high schools, I've been able to, right now we're in the midst of, of my nonprofit sponsoring the, the creation of a social justice center at a HBCU. I mean, so there's certain things that because I work for my institution, I can't create a, a center and fund the center, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, Uh, Yeah. But there are ways in which you can do that, uh, uh, for other institutions. And I think that one thing that I would encourage any of your, your listeners and watchers to, uh, to, to think about is a lot of times you can get things done in chaos, right? You actually can yeah. get a lot of things done when people are uncertain. You just do it, right? Because a lot of times you right. don't know what's going on. I think that there are different temperaments and different personality types. Some people, if they don't know, they want to be clear on like, can I do this or can I not? do Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: People with our personality types are like, we're going to do it. And then you tell me later, (laughs) I I wasn't supposed to do it. Right. So (laughs) So,
0: that's for forgiveness. Right.
1: Right. Right. (laughs) So, so I think there's kind of a mix of that. So a strategic kind of, kind of seeing where to get things done. Like yesterday I had a conversation with academic leader on campus about some initiatives we wanted to do on campus. And so he suggested that, he said, listen, Sydney, what you need to do, tell your people, let's yeah. have a conversation offline. This is how we're yeah. going. For, we're going to get it done, but this is the way to do it. So I'm thinking about it doing it in a formal way. He said, no, 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 no. We no, no, want no. to get this done. I'm for you. I'm with you. And yes. and it may be better for it to come from me and my leadership position, and we frame it this way for it. So right. I think building those trusting relationships over time, it, it works out. So yep. you may get your hand slapped the first time because you didn't know,
0: right? But
1: right, right. Most times you're not gonna lose your lose your job over doing right. making one mess up. I just think that people are, but I have to also acknowledge that I'm a tenured full professor, so. There's, there's,
0: you live a different lifestyle than the rest yeah, of us. Yeah. Yes.
1: Oh, so but I think, that.
0: but, but, but the spirit behind that is, I think when we look at all of this, if we consider, we need to get to the point where it's also about trust. What you just brought up yeah. was you have a nonprofit. You're able to raise money to provide scholarships. You work with the community. You talked about this a bit ago about bringing things to other other important um, cultural organizations in your community that you're contributing to in an appropriate and mission-driven way, this is all important because when you, and I, and I am talking broadly, the institution has different offices, whether it be the Women's Center, whether it be the Disability Services Environment, whether it be your centers, whatever these cultural centers or these spaces are on your campus, or even... Just literally saying, Oh, there's a community event. What can we send to you to help? Okay. When you are able to do that, whether it be any of those examples, you're building a sense of trust. And we've talked about this on the show and other conversations about how there's a lack of trust in higher education at a, at a, at a hideous level in this country. Every institution should be thinking about how do we build trust? with the communities that we serve. And the communities that we serve are not only the students sitting in the chairs. They are the communities that we are sending our students, faculty and staff out into to buy lunch, to get jobs, to communicate with, to attend artistic events. We need to be part of that and to be, sitting here in our walled off areas saying, nope, I'm just going to concentrate on the research. I'm just going to concentrate on this. That is that is a mistake. And the only way in my mind that we're going to be able to advance some of the mission-driven work, including the work you do, is that we need people on the outside walls to be able to look and say, actually, I've met Sidney Freeman. That guy's He's not just all talk, no action. He is all action and and he is getting stuff done. And I'm glad he's here. I'm glad he's in our community and I trust the work that he's doing. That is going to be a far more, let's say, effective way to, to wage some of these fights because the fight's already taken care of, how good you are. You are known in the community as being someone who's a stand-up guy, they're going to say that's Sidney Freeman. What are you talking about? He's got a great center over there. Why are we making him think about this? We should be proud of this. Well, I, I maybe would... I'm maybe I'm being a, a loopy. <laughs>
1: no, no, I think that I think that's I think that's important. I think something that you mentioned there that's that's key is financial resource investment. So, like at my institution, if I get a grant, they're trying to take upwards of fifty percent of that. For for <laughs> that goes to central administration, right? Uh, yeah. Whereas if you give a gift to my my research institute or to my lab, yeah. they only tax that three percent. I call I'm calling it right. a tax, but the institution <laughs> takes. 3%, they only take
0: the school. They tax. only
1: take three <laughs> percent off off of that. Yeah. So that helps. Yeah. So it's better for me to actually fundraise those dollars rather That's than. Right. That allows me to do the kind of work that impacts our mm-hmm. students and yep. uh, and the broader community. And so, I think it's really important to to understand the importance of donations in the mix of of supporting these the women's right. center or or our Latinx center or whatever whatever minority center you're you're wanting to support. Those right. those resources are critical to the advancement of the work within those environments and units.
0: Well, Sydney, that is a great way for us to close out our conversation is here's here's the theme of the show. Go out there raise your own money and you are your <laughs> own advocate in all, all of this because if you have your unrestricted <laughs> donation, then you are you are good. So there you go. But but Sydney, thank you so much. All your contact information is in the show notes and it's always a pleasure to have you
1: pleasure to be here and thank you again for the
0: opportunity as we go into the final legs of the semester it's time for us to take some time and be reflective as well as thankful and i am thankful for my guests and i want to especially thank sydney for returning to this space and sh- being able to share his wisdom with us and with all of our fine listeners, be sure to find Dr. Sidney Freeman's website and social media links through the show notes. And he's a phenomenal person and start to engage with him, bring him to your campus, communicate with him, read his stuff, follow him on LinkedIn. He's a great follow. Thank you for being an office hours listener in order to grow our community, please rate, review, and share the podcast with your network. I would really appreciate it. And hey, don't forget the show notes. I just referred to them. Don't forget the show notes. There, you can find more information on our guest today's show. And of course, details on how to follow me on social media and become a subscriber to my newsletter, What's Up in the Academy on Substack. And finally, thank you, to my wonderful producer, David Yaz. David, I am thankful for you. Office Hours is a production of the Pod 617 Studios in beautiful Westwood, Massachusetts. Now, get on out there and learn something.